We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now, let me welcome onto the Top Dogs podcast, one of the best writers covering the sport of college basketball right now, a man that is the definition of you can take the boy out of Philly, but you can't take the Philly out of the boy, and a guy that everybody in college basketball wants to get a shot and a beer with, the one and only Brendan Quinn from The Athletic. BQ, what's going on, man? How about that? I'm I'm trying to work my way through that list. I'm trying to get to everyone, man, you know? (laughs) Anyone that wants a shot and a beer, I'm, I'm down. I am down. Hey, Rob, how are you, pal? I'm great, man. I'm great. Um, obviously, I have you on uh, because you just wrote a big feature. What did it end up being? 3,800 words, 3,900 words, something like that? 4,000 words? I have no idea. Too many. Too many words. <laughs> uh, on, on the Yukon Huskies is why we have if you If you see something you could cut out of that, then you go for it. No, I All want right? it to be longer. Okay. No, <laughs> I, I want more. Um, I, I'm a little disappointed that that's all it was, man. Come on. Uh, it, honestly, it's kind of weird having you on talking about something other than like drama in the state of Michigan, because that's pretty much uh, mm-hmm. that's that's pretty much what we've had you on in the past for. Um, but, you know, you're now transitioning into more of like a national role. So you're doing a lot of these features here. What is uh, what, what's what's been different in terms of going from being a guy that's more kind of focused on like one team, two teams? maybe the sport of golf to, to kind of covering yeah. the sport, you know, nationally big picture. Cause it's, it's different. It's a different role. Yeah. It, it's, it, it's been really fun first of all, and, but also like really challenging because it goes uh, against your nature when you're really like a beat writer at heart and like an old newspaper type guy at heart and where it's like, relationships and real like immersion and programs like lead to the, the the type of writing that I've, I've done in, in most of the career and, and really like the confidence to speak about things in a certain way, you know, like I've always admired guys uh, like you who are, are, are able to watch kind of college basketball from that like huge perch and have like real understandings of what's going on roster wise at all these places and knowing, you know, who's the sixth guy at Marquette and who's the second best player at South Florida. Like I I love college basketball. I followed college basketball my whole life. And even still, like I, I, I haven't been able to like, I don't know, uh, maintain that much information in my 
otherwise I mean, it's hard when you cover a sport that has 360 yeah like i just never understand how you did like even i remember like for times i've had to cover college football right i covered i helped cover tennessee football for the knoxville new sentinel and i helped cover michigan football in my early years here in michigan and like when you would start asking me about like you know backup linemen i'd be like i don't know who any of these guys are i can't remember their names i don't care to and i it's just you know i i really like relationships and kind of being all in on on one thing and so the long story short, moving to like kind of this role has been uh, great in terms of being able to write about new stuff, but like writing with confidence and writing like I really know what I'm talking about. My my inferiority complex comes up, my imposter syndrome creeps in, um, and it really takes for me to do it, I think, the right way. Like an instance like this, I want to go to the place, I want to spend three days inside the program. So like when I went out to UConn, I showed up on a, the Wednesday of the Villanova game and they were nice. They were really open. And I give all the credit to, to Danny for being so open and, and allowing me, because I had no relationships at UConn mm-hmm. prior to this, never met Dan, um, never really met anyone on the staff other than maybe in passing. So they kind of let me in cold. And so I went to shoot around that day went to the Nova game that night, spent the entire Thursday in there um, at their kind of day after, you know, pretty easy workout, but talked to some of the players that day, talked to the staff that day, then went to the following day's practice, which was like a revved up, get ready for Xavier, like full blown, you know, take the paint off the walls, UConn practice. Um, And then a couple more conversations that day and flew out. Right. So like leaving there, I felt like, I had kind of my hands on um, what what it is and who these people are. The 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 most important, the most impressive part of that that piece to me was that you really you kind of nailed the nuances of of what being a UConn fan is from uh, trying to put together the fact that like yes they have this stored history to you know now you kind of have to rebuild it from scratch from uh, what the AAC years were to the 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 issues with having a coach that everybody loves for being crazy, but that sometimes it might just be a little bit too crazy at times. Mm-hmm. Um, how, let me ask you this, the, the process for something like this for you, I, I know it's still a little bit new for you in, in this role, but like, what, how do you start with that? Like what, what's the first thing that you do? Are you going there and you are just reading beat writers for like the previous week? Are you calling people that, that know the, like, what, how do you, how do you start something like that? Cause you're look, you, you covered teams in Philly, you covered Tennessee, you covered Michigan for a whole bunch of years, and you covered golf. You, UConn's new to you, and it doesn't feel mm-hmm. like that when you read this story. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is um, a you know being okay with that perspective that that I kind of have and the preconceived notions that I have coming into it. Like you know, mm-hmm. I grew up in the Northeast, right? Grew up in Philadelphia, Villanova, right down the street. Like I know Big East hoops. I've been to the Big East tournament at the Garden, blah blah blah. Like I have, and I'm 40 years old. So I have my idea of UConn basketball, you know, and it's the, the, the ass kicking nineties and two thousands and those teams. And like, you know, like Ray Allen versus Iverson is like burned into my brain as like a, you know, I, I what year would that have been? 90, 96, 97, six. So yeah, I was 14. Right. And like watching, AI and Ray Allen, like on ESPN, like probably five inches from the TV. Like that's my perspective and that's my version of UConn. So like 
I'm okay. I'll write about it through that lens. Like that's what, and, and the lead of the story was like people of a certain age and a certain bend. It's me. I'm talking about myself, mm-hmm. you know? So um, there's that. And then the, the process beyond that is, um, yeah, you know, making phone calls, talking. I called you, you know, and was just like, hey man, I'm going to UConn. And, you know, there were a bunch of other calls similar to that. And, um, and then reading a lot, you know, I went back and read all this stuff from when, when Dan got the job and, you know, when the divorce with Ollie went through and when Calhoun stepped away and all that, and just kind of refreshed that stuff. And you, you can tell a lot by how, like, yeah, especially as like a, you know, old beat writer, how, how people felt about things when it happened in real time, you can tell by the language that is written in then and, and you can see is it sometimes written things are written like an obituary and sometimes things are written like in memoriam and and or or with venom or with heat and stuff like that and you can kind of tell you know and when i read the stuff about you know danny being hired it rang with desperation and it was the feeling of um a place realizing how quickly it can go away and i think that's something that every fan base can really relate to um, because most schools have had a window of time where by their standards, they were relevant. And, and whether that means winning national championships or whether that means making the NCAA tournament, um, you know what it feels like to be there and you know the emptiness that it feels like to be irrelevant. And, you know, UConn walked the line, man. Like they went to the other side. Yes, they went no, to the it, other it, side. It, and It was they, more and than just irrelevancy. It was, it was almost fan apathy, right? Like who cares? Yeah. It's so hard when you're used to these big rivalry games every night, when you're used to hating Syracuse and hating Georgetown and, and now for UConn fans, hating Providence, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's you're playing like South Florida or you're playing right. like, as good as Houston is. You're playing like that. That matchup means means nothing. There's no juice. And there. they didn't play this Houston. They yes. played Houston, which was equally apathetic. Yes. So it's it's that really came through that you kind of you kind of got that. So that was uh, something that I thought was impressive. Um, the other thing I thought was impressive was how many different voices that you had in there. Right. It was very clear mm-hmm. to me that you went and you just embedded with them because mm-hmm. you heard from Hawkins was quoted in there. And you heard from Andre Jackson, you heard from Adama, and you heard from every member of the staff, and you heard from Hurley, who had a couple of uh, golden one-liners that you were able to work in. Um, how how long does it take you from, from – I mean, you spend three days at a place. You're going to have so many interviews, so much information, so much stuff to get through. How long does it take to turn that into this final piece? Uh, well, so the funny thing, if you want to talk about how the sausage gets made, mm-hmm. um, you know, they weren't supposed to lose to Xavier. that story was supposed to run uh early that week after though it was basically turned around and and, um and ready to go it was supposed to run probably the tuesday before the providence game they lose to xavier and it's okay well let's put a pin in this maybe they beat providence and uh and then we can drop it right after that (laughs) well boy they lose to providence and now you know from from my perspective you know People always say, you know, who's your team or who are you rooting for? All I root for is the story. That's all I care about. It is a totally self selfish job. I will admit it till you know the day I'm I'm dead. Um, yeah, I just wanted them to win a damn game so that we could publish this this thing. <laughs> and uh, and it shows the inexperience, frankly, as like a, a big air quote like national writer. Like if you would have looked, if I would have really looked at the schedule, 
and said, oh, wait a second, they they followed that Villanova game with two Big East road games at Xavier and Providence. It's not exactly that big of a shock to lose either of those games, let alone, you know, and, and eventually both of those games. Um, poor planning. Probably would have wanted to uh, uh, maybe, you know, run that or, or plan to run that story going into like that DePaul-Georgetown back-to-back game that they have uh, later this year. Would have been a much safer play. But um, I look, I really think the premise of the story remained, right, that this mm-hmm. is still a top-10 team, you know, and the shit, they could lose tonight to Marquette. And I think all everything that's there is is the same. It, it they have a, a front heavy Big Ten slate or Big East slate for for this year in terms of those road games. That yeah, like Ken Palm still projects them at fifteen and five in the league. I think that sounds about right. Um, this is what the team is. They just have you know the schedule fell this way. But um, yeah, no, this thing was basically ready to go a week ago and. Uh, and then we tweaked and we tweaked and um, obviously had to put in some nuance to kind of fit where it is. And I talked to Bobby on s- Sunday or Saturday for about an hour um, and, and did rework some of it where it, a lot of it went from being the original story, which is just Yukon's back, right? Point black and white. That's it. This version had a little bit more gray into it of like, this is what it means to be back. So the stuff that you saw in there about them going into gyms and being UConn, old UConn, right? Suddenly there's a line outside for the game. Suddenly you're wondering if teams are going to rush the court against you. Um, It's a different feel when you have that number two or that number five next to your name. And that's what this group is learning. So that context kind of came into the version that we ended up actually moving forward with. And it's actually a really good point because any, any great college basketball team is going to have to deal with that. Right. And I think that's the first time that anybody on this UConn roster has experienced walking into a gym and being the hunted instead of being the hunter. Um, So that was, it's, it's interesting that it kind of worked out that way, given what the the story was. And I mean, you made, you made it work. You kind of, you gotta, you know, roll with the punches in a situation like that. Um, the the one thing I don't want to give away too many details of the story because everybody listening to this really should go read it. Um, but the I did not I did not know that there was that team meeting. That was the one thing that I had not heard about. So um, the the leadership role that those three have taken, and those were obviously the three guys that you spoke to for the story. What what kind of sense did you get from that? You've been around a lot of teams, right? You've been around a lot of programs. You've been around a lot of kids that are asked to. Uh, to, to carry a certain load for a team. What, what did you take away from those three? Um, and how did you, you know, uh, what, what was your feeling on that? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, that that jumped out to me as well. Like right when, um, right when it was mentioned, um, and I, I think it was Danny who maybe said it later, like I had already spoken to Andre and I had to actually get him on the phone after the fact to kind of get his recollection of, of that meeting. But um, it was essentially after the loss to uh, New Mexico State, right? Uh, like, you know, right? When a team suffers a loss like that, it's an immediate fire drill. And, mm-hmm. and then that goes from the fans right through the roster to the parents to everybody. It is, you know, this is a disaster. And you wonder, okay, our players are going to look to lead. Like, what's going to be the response? And actually the staff, I, I didn't mention this in the story because it, there was time and space, but uh, the staff told Dan, like, go step away. Like, you need to go take some days and um, maybe clear your head after that loss and let's all come back and we'll reconvene. And he said, no, I'm calling a, mon- a Monday morning meeting with um, with Andre, Adama, and Jordan. And that's what he did. It was a Monday morning meeting, the four of them. That's it. No one else, no staff, no anybody. And, and in it, Dan basically went right down the line. He pointed at Adama and said, you're going to be the preseason player of the year in the Big East and, and the most dominant big man. Pointed at Jordan and said, you're going to be the best shooter and scorer in the country. And he pointed at Andre and he said, you're going to be you know, the best two-way player, the best playmaker, blah, blah, blah. And and that's it. And, and I'm going to go get you some players from the portal, but we're going to build around your three skill sets. And that's what this team is going to be. And we're going to go win. Um, and what it represented really was shared leadership. And, you know, Andre said that's kind of when we became a player-led team, which is like, it's a cliche, but it's cliches exist for a reason. That is a thing, right? Like it's that shared, hey, man, this is as much as you as it is for me. And if you're expecting me to do Every single thing, one through a hundred on this list, that ain't happening. You get fifty, I'll take fifty, right? And and that's really what that rep, that meeting represented. Um, and I found it really interesting from the vantage point of like looking at Dan, who is like clearly you know neurotic and obsessive, <laughs> and you know he works basically 11 and a half months a year on this. And he's constantly in the building. He goes over every single detail. Like he is one of the most hands-on coaches I've been around. Like he just got his hands in everything. Um, I don't know how much delineation there is. Um, and, And I think it means more when a coach like that gives some to the other guys. Um, and they took it and, and ran with it. And he did, you know, they obviously identified a lot of players in the portal that kind of fit around them and probably came in with the expectations of like working around those guys. Like, I don't know if any of these transfers are walking in. I'm the man, right. Which is a much of the portal is looking for. Um, and from that day on, um, yeah, I think everyone kind of really understood what this was going to be. Yeah, and I, I think you kind of you kind of touched on it a little bit, but that to me that's a big moment kind of in the the narrative of like the Danny Hurley coaching life cycle, right? And I think it is to yeah. a point with every coach, but when you college coaches are so detail oriented and so like we need to have things going the way that I'm doing it, and uh, especially with the way that he runs his offense, where he it, it's not like Jay Wright, right? I, I've gone over this before on the podcast, but they they don't 
they don't necessarily just have concepts. They have set actions that they call. Yeah. And they run yeah. this play and then they run this counter. And then because it worked last time, and then they run this counter to the counter. And they have like 50 of those for every set that they have. Um, to be able to relinquish some of that control and say, look, you guys, th- this is on you. You need to take ownership of this, I think. And I mean, you might have a better sense um, of that from talking to him. But it, that, that was that was a moment that was just kind of like, OK, this it now makes sense why um, why they made that leap. You know what I mean? Yeah, like the, those those coaches who have that personality trait of like being totally neurotic and wanting to have control of everything. Um, it, it's it's tough. A lot of those guys, it's a balance that can sometimes be, you know, it can border on detrimental um and it takes a lot of self-awareness awareness to realize um what needs to be distributed and it kind of reminded me a little bit of um you know when i got to michigan coaching um or covering john beeline mm-hmm. you know his first team that i covered was the 14 team coming off the 13 national championship uh, appearance with trey burke and like oh my God, he had his hands on everything. And it was just like hyper control. And over the course of me covering him for how many every years until he left for the Cavs, um, he brought in defensive coaches and he gave over control of the defense to um, uh, Billy Donlin and then Luke Yaklich. So suddenly the defense was out of his hands and then like certain players he gave control to like he gave that team to Derek Walton over the second half of the year that they went to the sweet 16 and lost to Oregon but was a really good team um that kind of caught fire down the stretch and you did see like beeline take I mean there certainly wasn't taking both hands off but like he loosened his grip and it made him a better coach without question um and, and Dan I think you see a lot of that and like even sitting in on the practice like Luke Murray has a very loud voice in coaching that that offense, uh, uh, especially like he is very, very um, involved in in like kind of actually leading things and directing things in real time in, in practices. It is not just three assistants sitting there watching Dan Hurley you know, go up and down the court and, and call this and call that. And um, that's not to take anything away from Kamani or Tom, like, uh, but I'm just kind of using that as an example of like, this is not, it is not solely the Dan Hurley show over there, which is a good thing. I don't think you, I, I've seen programs that operate that way. And I don't think it's, it's the way you want it done. Yeah. And, and I think that you need for Dan to give up control. He has to have players that he trusts. And that's not to say that he didn't trust RJ and Tyrese, but I think he got to the last RJ Cole and Tyrese Martin last year. But I think that he saw kind of some of the, if there was one knock on that on on the team last year, and even to a point this year, it's if they can't get something out of what they they want to run, then you kind of get to a point where like when you need someone to go get you one, they don't really know what to do. And I yep. think that giving ownership to to the team and to the players helps that. It's also funny that you mentioned that about Luke because he's a uh, he's a very mild mannered person when you talk to him off the floor or off the bench, and then you see him on the bench, and he's just always like arms are always waving, always screaming, always pointing at mm-hmm. someone. Um, so it's always, uh, I always laugh about that. And that's a relationship, right? I mean, that relationship goes all the way back to Wagner. Um, yes. you know, that, that is, that is, it, it is distributional leadership via trust. And the, and really the same thing you can probably be said for a guy like 
Andre Jackson, who, you know, was part of a really key recruiting class. And that's a relationship that was forged a long time ago. And he's obviously a very special, um, unique, insightful, thoughtful person that, um, that warrants being given control of things, right? You're not just hoping when you let a guy like that take over, Mm -hmm. you you know, um, he's going to make the right decisions. Yeah. He's, he's the perfect example too, because he's a guy that if he wanted to, um, could have demanded more uh, influence in the offense where he's kind of embraced this idea. Look, I'm going to do everything else, but score you guys handle that. I'll do everything else. And honestly, it's going to end up making him be a first round draft pick probably at the end of the day, by the way, did you like talking to him, Andre? I mean, it was fascinating. He's just an incredibly interesting guy. And um, you know, it's nice when you ask a question and someone actually listens to the question and then gives you an answer and doesn't Mm -hmm. just default to five or six things that they've probably said over and over and over again. Um, Andre really is a great listener, which I think probably makes him a great leader um, in that program. And I mean, it really, it was very apparent um, during that Villanova game where, you know, you sit on the baseline at, um, at the, the XL center and I was right next to the um, UConn bench and Andre Jackson, a guy who's a junior, a guy who, like you said, you know, it would have been understandable, reasonable for him to come back this year and say, you know, I'm going to be the number two to Adama. I'm going to be the guy, blah, blah, blah. Um, Jordan is a sophomore and he can wait his turn. <laughs> um, and instead, what I saw that game was Jordan makes a couple threes. Andre is yelling at him to go for 40 that night and and is catching the ball and just looking for Jordan coming off any screen and is going to get him that ball no matter what. And he wants him to take it and shoot it and shoot it and shoot it. And to me, that's when I'm like, that's it. That's the recipe right there. When you have that dynamic amongst your top three, everyone else falls in line and then, you know, good things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. The last thing that I wanted to ask you, uh, I, I don't know if you caught on to this at all, but there was a little bit of drama with with Ryan Kalkbrenner and Dama Sonogo heading into the Creighton game uh, because Kalkbrenner actually on a Field of 68 podcast called Welcome oh to the J, our Creighton podcast, uh, was he was upset that Adama Sonogo was the Big East player of the year and kind of, you know, talked a little bit of trash on the podcast. Uh, it was way back in November. I have no idea how how the coaching staff found it, but they found it and they played it for the team before the game. And um, Adama <laughs> said something about it after the game. And the reason I ask is because, the uh, Michigan Wolverines, Hunter Dickinson, he's been a guy that's been quite uh, vocal on a podcast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've, you've been in this business for long enough to to be able to have opinions on things like this. And I trust your opinions on things like this. Is this we, are, we get more access to these players, whether it's through uh, their social media feeds, whether it's through kind of some of these like NIL sponsored podcast deals um, than than pretty much ever before, right? Since it's so easy to just dial up a Zoom and get somebody on a podcast, like it's very easy for these teams to say, hey, I want to promote, you know, this. I want to be able to get our name out there. Let's get this guy on Field of 68 After Dark. Let's get this guy on some of these athletic podcasts, right? Mm -hmm. Is that when when you're doing these things, when you're you're going out and you're getting people on the record and you have a little time to be able to have these conversations, is there ever a part of you that's like, you know what, he said that, I don't know if I want to – Go down that road. Yeah. I, maybe I kind of got to look out for him because I'm always, I'm always torn on that, right? Like I, I love, I love Coach McDermott. Like Rob Anderson is one of the best SIDs out there, and I 
kind of feel bad that like that became a thing from the yeah. network that I started. Right. So like, where do you kind of fall on all that? Man, I think it's, I think it's an awesome question and it's a, it's a really interesting topic in this space right now um, because it is, we're, we're all figuring it out as we go. Right. Cause like, I think back on um, things that people have a hundred percent said to me where I'm like, you know what? I know if I, unless I'm ready to spend the time it's going to take to frame why this person said this and why, you know, as opposed to it just being a standalone quote, um, I'm just not going to bother because I'm not looking to burn the guy. It said to me, it was said to me because we have a relationship. Like I mentioned that like Derek Walton earlier, right? Like the second half of his senior year, you know, we were having conversations where like, if I wrote anything he said, it would have absolutely blown up into a thing. But like, I had known him since he was a junior in high school. You know what I mean? And like, those are like actual relationships where you're like, you know, I don't need to torch this, this thing or, or, or take this quote that's going to end up becoming news in and of itself. Um, but you're right. This podcast space and the fact that, you know, players now have opportunities, thankfully to um, make their own money. Um can lead to guys putting stuff out there without really thinking things through. And I think there's a difference between someone who says something that is going to, you know, kind of startle the horses or make people react or whatever, but is said um, from a really like genuine place. And uh, they really, they're not saying it, to be incendiary and they're not saying it to stir shit um, because they know that by stirring the shit then makes the value of the show then gets mm-hmm. leads to an end game. Right. Cause that's the selfish way, frankly, of, of using that space. But if you're saying it because like it's something you really believe in and it's something that um, I don't know, just kind of comes from a more like genuine space um those to me it, it's a lot of gray but they are kind of two different things and that's look if you're if you as a network are, are providing this um platform for God, what they do with it i personally i i say is out of your hand everyone's over 18 here man right you're not running around at aau tournaments trying to get you know the best 16 year old to say wild stuff um these guys know what they're doing. They've all had PR training. They've all had media training. They all have their own brands. Most of them have agents. You know, I don't think any of that's on 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 you. Um, we we still think of them as college kids because when we came up watching it, it was it was college kids. It's a different time now, man. You know, like I, I think that's kind of over. And um, everyone wants to be paid like it. You know, I don't know if you then get to hide behind the idea of like, oh, I'm just a college guy. I just said this kind of crazy thing. And it's like, well, not really, man. You know? Yeah. You, you gotta, you gotta kind of understand the space that we live in. I just hope that it doesn't, when stuff like that happens, it doesn't turn guys into robots. Cause I think one of the things you see like in the NBA, even in college football and, and in the NFL and kind of at the bigger, bigger level where maybe you don't quite have the access is everybody kind of knows what they're supposed to say. And, and, the personality has been beaten out of them 
from a yes. media perspective, right? And I think the wonderful thing about college basketball is there's a lot of great personalities. There's a lot of different rivalries. There's a lot of like different kinds of fan bases, right? And losing some of that charm, I think is something that would not be good for the sport. Like just let, let, let's talk about UConn and, and Creighton specifically, right? Um, if this turns that that game like at Creighton and moving mm-hmm. forward, these two teams playing each other into a big rivalry, like that is a good thing. One for the Big East, two for college basketball, and three for both of these teams because it makes them more relevant, right? The fact yeah. that UConn and Providence every time that they play, now that that's a big deal, and it's not just a big deal like in those two states, two of the smallest states in our country, but it's you know now becoming something that's a little bit more national and people are paying attention to. That's a good thing. And I hope that it doesn't, uh, that level of, let's say, uh, healthy dislike, I hope that that doesn't go away and people don't lose that because little things like that are what kind of makes this sport what it is and it helps drive it up a little bit, make it a little bit more relevant, right? And it, we're, we're all I mean, big for, time, we're all like the same eyeballs. You, know, so. you, you kind of wonder if, um, you know, when, 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 guy, if guys are going to get jumped on for stuff that they say, um, and especially when you're on like a podcast and you're just having a bullshit conversation, like this, it feels like a safe space and you almost forget mm-hmm. that it's going to be just broadcast to anyone who they may not know you from a can of paint, you know? Yep. So, um, you say something, it explodes, and you're like, wait a second, I, there was a half an hour conversation that had all kind of context. And then you just took this one thing and now I'm just getting roasted. Well, that's the world we live in. And you do get concerned if like guys get cooked for it and you're right, they turn into robots and almost follow the same course as coaches. Cause if you go back and you think like eighties into the mid nineties, blah, 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 right. in the advent of TV and, and, and media growing larger and more mainstream, um, you had these coaches with these wild ass personalities and they were awesome. And they'd get up in these press conferences and they would just say the craziest stuff. You know, look at old big East, right? Like Calhoun and, and, and John Thompson and Raleigh and all these just, you know, guys who were their own things and didn't give a single shit would just say it. Mm-hmm. And now they're all these like CEO types and everyone's so buttoned up and they're so boring. And there are, there are very few personalities. You got a guy like Dan, you've got, you know, like a Tom Izzo out there and there's very few. They've all just been become some, so buttoned up. And then, you know, you talk to them on a regular phone call. I talk to them on a regular phone and they're completely different people. And yeah, you're like, and hey, like, man, all right, we're really... on the record now. And then all of a sudden, the tone changes. <laughs> yeah. and the line changes. You'd be a lot more interesting if you were just this guy all the time. <laughs> but that that's been just beaten out of them. I remember. I like, also get it, though. Early... Like, there's there's so much money involved. Like, you don't want to say the wrong oh, yeah. thing and make yourself unhirable so that this job there, you're making a million a year at like a low level, high major program. And then you want to go try to get one of these big power conference jobs where you can make four or five million dollars a year. And people are scared off because you said some things that are like, I don't want to even say questionable, but just because you might have popped off in the media a couple of times. I, I get yeah. it to a point, right? You yeah. want to kind of protect what your brand is. But I also think that having that personality that is engaging enough that people want to listen to you is also something that will help you. So it's, there's like a fine line there for coaches. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I remember, I feel like we came along at the very tail end of it. Like those coaches who, I mean, they wouldn't only just talk. They would, they would talk about each other openly. Just didn't even care. You know, like first Big East, uh media day I went to was probably like I don't know 2004 or five somewhere in there so the very tail end and uh 
like, I forget what the controversy was, but like Calhoun was just like saying stuff about Jim Beheim at the table at media day. And then like, like the pack of reporters that I was just kind of following along with, they got the quote from Calhoun, went over to Beheim and were like, hey, Jim, uh, Calhoun just said this about you. And Beheim was like, oh, yeah, well, blah, blah, blah. And then the, the pack <laughs> went right on back to Calhoun, got his response and then went back to Bay. It was it was incredible. And, you know, they were just way more clever. And I remember Calhoun gave me one of the all time quotes that I've remembered to this day from that media day where I asked him about some NCAA rule or something. It was probably like, you know, the uh, um, who was the guy from Tennessee who trained the hardship waiver. Remember that when the hardship waiver oh, yeah. was popping off, I feel like it might have been related to that. And uh, and I asked him about, you know, the, the, the gray part of the rule. And he was just like, son. Coaches can find angles in a circle. <laughs> and I remember that. Too. I, I've, I've lived by that forever. Line. I'm like, whatever the rule is, doesn't matter. The coaches will find a way around it. Um, but, yeah, to, I mean, to your, to your point. Um, hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. The, the players, if if they see it go a certain way and the more... You know, they have their own agents and their own PR flax and stuff like that. You know, they, it's just going to be, it's just going to be ironed out of them. Uh, I would think that in 10 years, it's just going to be, it's just going to be basically, you know, NBA style stuff or like, who's really saying anything. Yeah. The other issue is when you keep saying, yeah, I'm better than someone and getting your ass kicked. You know, that's not, <laughs> that happened to, that happened to Kalkbrenner. That happened to Hunter mm-hmm. Dickinson a couple of times. So yeah, um, that's that's part of the issue too. Is if you if you talk, you got to back it up, and if you're not backing it up, then you probably uh, are going to be asked to stop talking like that. It's not going to go well. Yeah, no. and like, I mean, be be real here, right? You know, you put your t- your team in a tough spot too. Like, go mm-hmm. beyond just drawing headlines and, and catching flack on social media and fans tweeting at you and stuff like that. Like. You, you you can put your guys in a in a tough space. Like, does Michigan really feel like dealing with an already angrier <laughs> Wisconsin fan base when they when they're going out there in February? Like, no. That's where the staff is like, bro. Like, come, we have to deal with that now. Like, not just you. They're, all of us are going on that trip to Madison, right? Like, like we're all on the same charter, man. Yeah. Well, listen, Brendan. This was fun. It's always great to catch up with you. It's always great to chat, especially when we talk about UConn. Last thing I got for you, the hmm. game day experience at XL. Um, there is, there's always a little bit of drama between, do we play at the XL? Do we need to get the best games at Gamble? Uh, from everyone I talked to that was at that Villanova game, it, mm-hmm. they, they said that it was a really good environment. It was really loud. Uh, the the area around the arena was better than it normally is. You mentioned in your story that all the bar stools were taken up pregame. So what was your just kind of, you know, big picture vibes on uh, on, on the pregame and, and what happened? Yeah, the environment I, in the I, I didn't really know the dynamic between like 
playing in Hartford versus playing in stores before kind of getting out there. And I didn't realize, frankly, just how far flung stores was until driving out there. Um, The environment for the Nova game was terrific. It was definitely popping. You know, people were pretty buzzed, like respect, (laughs) respect. I got to that game like two and a half hours early because I wanted to eat before going in. I couldn't get into any like those anecdotes from that story were not accidental. Like I was literally trying to get into a bar before the game and I couldn't and was kind of pissed about it. But um, so, so significant props and and shout out to my, my guy at the host stand at that one bar who was just losing it. Um, <laughs> but I mean, me, a quick side, a quick side. No, both of us have worked in the service industry and I always kind of chuckle when I see somebody just completely losing their mind. Like, man, I've been there. (laughs) I know exactly what you feel like right now. Looks rough, man. Keep the fight going. Uh, the shift ends, you know, your shift drink is coming at some point, my man. Um, me personally, I'm a proponent. First of all, when I scheduled the game, I forgot to even double check whether it was in, uh, stores or Hartford. I would have much preferred to have seen a game at Gamble. Um, I want on on campus games. I don't really like the pro arena, like the XL Center. I don't know what UConn's fans' thoughts on it are, other than it's probably more convenient to get to unless you're in stores. But like, that place, that is an old ass, ugly building. And mm-hmm. the, the the thing that really uh, summed it up to me is the horn. It's like an old hockey horn. It sounds like someone's like, it sounds like a bottle cap in a garbage disposal, the horn that, that they like, <laughs> and the half with it's, they'd be better off with just a dude on the sideline with an air horn, just blasting an air horn than actually using the old hockey horn in that arena. It's terrible. So yeah, I didn't, I was really kind of underwhelmed by that building. The fans showed out. So that was cool. The environment was good, but the place is a dump. So you know, I don't know who's going to put up the 200 million or whatever to to rehab that thing. But as long as they're contracted by the state to have to play there, um, shit. You know, you better hope you're good because I imagine that place when it's half empty or there's any apathy among the fans must be awful to it's go to spacious a spacious and cold in there when you when it's not packed to the gills. Yeah, when it's yeah, packed to the gills, good. it gets loud. It's just just a dump. Yeah, is. I mean, it's pretty much nailed the same thing right with Villanova. You, you, know, you, you figured it out. You might as well be from West Hartford at this point. <laughs> well, I mean, a lot of those dynamics, like they, every place has its own um, identity and its own kind of weird little um, subplots. But like a lot of things do happen at other places. Like Villanova kind of has the same deal mm-hmm. with you know playing their games in South Philly. That when they yeah when they're really good, it it can be cool, but um, when they're not, it's just like you're just playing in an NBA arena and the 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 student section is kind of sprawled out behind the the basket and it's just not like a college environment that that you want like at Assembly Hall or at Mackey or you know these places that are just these boxes with seats in it like that's what you want, right That's the mm-hmm. good stuff. And in that case, I'm like, I don't give a shit what the horn sounds like. Or if it's a concrete block, whatever, um, it's awesome, right? Because it's that it feels like a college game. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't really know what the fix is for for that. That's a tough, that's a tough deal. Um, playing thirty five miles from from your campus is not a minor thing, and, and I did not really appreciate it until going out there. That that 
kind of challenge. But I also get the fact that no one lives in stores. Yeah. So if you're living anywhere else in the state, the highway doesn't even run to stores. That's crazy yeah. to me too. It's all single lane roads. So uh, yeah, if you want to go to a game, I'd much rather take the highway to Hartford. Um, my only, if I'm going to take a shot here, the restaurants and bars stop serving food way too early in Hartford. It's just, I felt like, uh, are the, is there like a Quaker influence up there or something that it's I don't the, know about? Why does shit close so early? Laws. Like everything closes early. I remember uh, in, brutal. I remember in high school on like Saturdays, um, when I would use the, uh, the old fake ID to go try to buy beer, it would be like, we'd be getting ready. It'd be like seven 45 and you're like, Oh shit. Liquor stores closed in 15 minutes. Close eight o'clock. It was eight o'clock wow. when I was growing up. You couldn't buy beer after eight o'clock on Saturday. I mean, I can't talk too much smack when I was growing up in Pennsylvania and Philadelphia, um, couldn't buy stuff on Sundays. So whenever, you know, so we would buy kegs for the Eagles game on Saturday Mm-hmm. And stash them inevitably, you know, drink get it tuned all. up on Saturday and bring everyone back to the house. Oh, we got three kegs at the house. Bring everyone back to the house, drink them, and then wake up on Sunday. Now there's no beer for the Eagles. We'd have to buy drive down to Jersey or Delaware to go get more. It's it's tough, man. Yeah, I've uh trust me, there, there's a lot of similarities. <laughs> These are the struggles we overcome up in Philly. <laughs> we had a lot of the same issues. <laughs> oh man, listen. Brendan, this has been awesome. Appreciate you taking the time to hang out. If you guys have not read it yet, make sure to go subscribe to The Athletic. I'll drop a link in there uh, so you can uh, read that story. Make sure. At the very least, just go click on it. By the way, I I do need to say, it does seem like a lot of UConn fans have have come upon it. And I know that, like, I I don't know how people view UConn's social media presence. Um, It seems like they're kind of crazy. Kind of. But... For me, I mean, I appreciate that. Uh, it seems like some people have shared it or or liked it, and I've I've gotten a very slight taste. I'm sure if I write anything bad, they'll just bury me in the ground, and that's fine too. But um, no, a lot of people have have shared some nice notes and stuff like that, and I I do appreciate it. So who said it's always... who, who has said the funniest thing? Because there there's a couple of there's a couple of guys out there that are absolutely hilarious and completely out of their minds, and I'm just curious if you've if you've heard uh, I, i'd have to go back through the mentions i don't know i was i was checking it out like this was before i walked the dog and stuff uh there was i know a lot of people have latched on to dan's quote about yeah um <laughs> they're just coming right out and saying that they mock uh other teams when they win and that that kind of adds to the hatred and that's been embraced it seems like oh, yeah. uh by, by a number of oh, the folks I've, so I've, I've now, do they come things. at you or what's your relationship like with the uh, I, I mean, I get along with, with most of the people. So most okay. of the people on the like, UConn fans on Twitter are like any other fans on Twitter. They're completely out of their minds, but they just love their team. And as long yeah. as you're just like real and, and kind of have a, like a normal conversation with a with a person, even if it's like a fake avatar, then, you know, right. It is what it is. Uh, the one guy that's I think is probably like the the cream of the cop when it crop when it comes to the crazies is Mr. Hotballs. And I believe at the game that you were at, he was the guy that got rolled up in the burrito at the, the burrito guy. Yeah, the burrito guy. I remember him. Yeah. He had the he had the wrestling mask on. I tell you what, I'll tell you what, man. I almost uh I, I I almost got to really know him because his his ass almost came right out of those pants when he was getting rolled <laughs> up in, in the burrito, which would have been a little bit uh I don't know if we need to take a relationship to that level, but I was yeah. watching, yeah. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll tell you this. If you want to get a sense of what UConn Twitter is, he was very proud 
of that moment that his ass was out. So, <laughs> so uh, that guy, one, love him. One thing, I, I'm sure he's loved that story that you wrote, and he is absolutely someone that's going to love that quote from Dan Hurley. <laughs> one thing I, I don't have a read on, and that I find I imagine is an interesting. I know we just keep stopping and restarting this record this this conversation, but whatever. Um, one thing I don't have a finger on the pulse of is you know out here. Right. I write something about Michigan. I get blasted by Michigan State. I write something about Michigan State. I get blasted by Michigan. The ones think I'm a homer for the other. It goes back and forth. Right. Whatever. It's a it's a fun waltz Um, with with UConn. Like it seems like they are just rivals with everyone. Right. Like no one likes UConn. UConn likes no one. But there's no like singular. Rival. Is that right? I mean, it's kind of. That's kind of the the old school Big East, right? Like I think the, the yeah, but Providence, like Villanova Georgetown, like that was the rival. Yeah, and Syracuse right? George, like, but Syracuse there, Georgetown yeah. was too. But then like UConn Sy- sure. Syracuse was, and UConn and Georgetown didn't like each other. And UConn and Villanova um, always kind of went back and forth. Although UConn uh, Villanova fans are a little bit like they're not as crazy, right? Like there's there's a lot more like sensible people there. That main, it like it's that main line, man. That wine yeah, and cheese got, crowd, you know. Yeah, they got some. They, they got some them. smarter people that aren't going to get into the the depths and you know <laughs> bare knuckle brawl on uh, on on social media. But I, I won't think mention what my mater, the, alma mater is here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think that's just the the old school Big East vibes where everybody was a rival with everybody, and there right, there right. were there were friendships, but it was all like kind of like the that that brotherly dynamic where you want to kick his ass and everything that you play, but you're right. you know what I'm saying. Sure. You have you have that kind of relationship. I will say this though, it does feel like you like as Providence is growing as a program, as they are becoming a uh, perennial kind of Big East contender, that rivalry between the two the, the two schools feels like it's kind of taking a step above everything else. And again, I think that's a a good thing for the absolutely. Big I think that's a good thing for both programs. I think that's a great thing for college basketball, especially if 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 Danny and Ed both stay there for a long time. Cuz mm-hmm. then all of a sudden you have two guys that are uh pretty accessible, that are pretty media savvy, um that have very uh differing and unique personalities. Like I don't know if there's mm-hmm. a more uh likable dude in coaching than Ed Cooley. I don't right. know if there is a uh, a crazier human being in coaching than Dan mm-hmm. Hurley and it fits like both of those fan bases pretty perfectly. And if both of them are going to be good and they're competing for Big East titles and every one of their games has like so much meaning and both of those fan bases kind of butt heads a little bit and they're so close like that's that would be a great thing for the sport, for the conference, for everything moving forward. So, I mean, look, yeah. I'm not supposed to like Providence on this podcast, but uh, rooting for them and having them be good is is a good thing for college basketball, for UConn, for the sport for the Big East for everything. I'd put it this way. You want your rivals to have highway signs when you're leaving your own city, right? And when you leave Hartford, <laughs> there's signs for Providence. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like there ain't signs for Washington, DC. Like are you going to be a Georgetown or Villanova? You know what I mean? Like there, there needs to be some level of proximity there. So yeah, for, for UConn, and Providence to just dial things up would be that'd be awesome. That'd yeah, be awesome. Oh, and, and trust me, it's already and it's a balanced rivalry. Dialed. Like the, the hard place to win both. You know, the the idea would be if they play in the Big East tournament championship, 
which seems like it's something that's a very realistic possibility this year, uh, then it, it'll get turned to 11 and you'll kind of, you'll see the vitriol come out. You'll see the vitriol come out. So sign me up. That sounds great. Yeah. All right, Brendan, this has been fun. Uh, I'm actually going to end it this time instead of finding okay. a way to segue into some other conversation, but I okay. always appreciate the time. And if you're, uh, if you're listening to this, make sure you go check it out at the very least, even if you've already read it, go click on the link again, give him some more hits, give him some of that web traffic. He needs it <laughs> <laughs> shared on your, uh, your Facebook profiles or whatever, uh, on your MySpace page. Yeah. Put it on Mastodon. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you, I Rob. Appreciate it. And now for something completely different. It's now time for my favorite segment of the night the yukon segment we are going to jump into yukon's <laughs> bounce back 69 to 60 win over creighton the first time dan hurley has beaten creighton and beaten greg mcdermott since they came back to the big east uh dama Sonogo, 26 points nine boards jordan hawkins had 17 tristan newton had 13 points was actually able to get to the foul on again so uh, i'll hit you first on this one laval you coached the big east last year you do uh fox sports and fox sports one um work now uh, covering the Big East. So take me through kind of what you saw from UConn today um, and why it finally worked against, against Creighton. Is Tyler ready for you to have a UConn? Have you ever had a UConn segment with, with Doster? No, I don't think he has. <laughs> no, sir. He has not. <laughs> <laughs> you, you ready for this? This, is the, this might be the end of the show here. Um, <laughs> no, I thought what, what I said prior to the game, Rob, was um, Creighton had beaten them five straight times. And so they hadn't, since rejoining the Big East, they had not beaten Creighton. And, um, you know, they're offensively, they had never scored above 63 points. They had averaged 63 points, got 70 once, and James Booknight had to go for 40 that night, and they still lost. Um, they had never shot above 40%. So Greg, you know, Greg and the staff kind of had their number um, all defensively. And I thought they took that to heart tonight. And, and, Adama Sanogu took uh, the matchup personal. He had never scored more than 13 points in a, in a few matchups against him. And um, and they made it a mission to feed the big fella. I thought Jordan, Hawk Jordan Hawkins was tremendous in the first half, just off actions. He was aggressive. He was smooth. And uh, and then defensively, they they did the job, you know, just forcing everything. There was one point in the game where Creighton, they missed like 12 straight shots in the second half. And UConn really buckled down. So I thought it was an important win for them coming off, you know, two straight losses. And um, and they stepped up and, and and got it done at home, which you need to protect home court. Yep, absolutely. So you mentioned how uh, Adama Sanogo had struggled against Ryan Kalkbrenner earlier this season on this very network, the Field of 68, on our Creighton podcast. Welcome to the J. Uh, Ryan Kalkbrenner um, had some things to say about Adama Sanogo that the staff discovered and the staff played for him before this game to kind of get him fired up a little bit. Uh, I think we have that audio right now, Trevor. Big East team is obviously UConn. <laughs> uh, I mean, we've had a just the teams have had a good rivalry, and then obviously they got Sonogo, who they picked as player of the year. And, you know, I got to bite my tongue a little bit about my thoughts about that selection. But you know, definitely looking forward to that game and seeing what people think about player of the year after that. I have never beaten the team and lost them every single time I play them. I try to I'd circle that game too. But like, I don't know, it's just fun to go up against bigs that other people say are good. Me, I, I don't know about that. But, but <laughs> I just, last year, I obviously 
obviously did really, really good against them. And, you know, I'm just looking to repeat that performance because I think that go a long way in proving people wrong for making that selection. So that was uh, that was interesting from Ryan Kalkbrenner. Tyler, I'm going to go to you first on this one. Have you, one, ever had a situation where a player said something like in the media before a game? And two, what what would your reaction be in that situation if you were hearing it? Well, first of all, I would definitely use it as motivation. So uh, you got to be smarter than that. Uh, but also my thing is you should never worry about uh, being picked as conference player of the year or whatever. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, you know, conference player of the years, you know, who weren't actually the best player. I think last year, uh, you know, the kid from Wake Forest and then they had the coach of the year. They didn't make the tournament. So it's not a good indication of overall team performance. But to me, that was just kind of selfish. But also, uh, you never really want to give the the team motivation. And, uh, you know, especially who you're going against, especially a guy like Sonogo. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I honestly, I got to give their coach credit for finding it, uh, digging it up and giving it to him because he, he had one of his best games of the year. Uh, so, you know, you know, sometimes you got to learn a lesson the hard way and uh, not not talk trash publicly. I didn't I didn't know that that thing existed until I saw a tweet about it after the game from Dave Borgers, who covers the uh, covers the Huskies for CTinsider.com. I had, I had no idea. It was on our network. I had no idea it happened. I have no idea how they found it. They uh, I think that staff needs to find, uh, you know, get a hobby or two, maybe find, <laughs> find something to do in the offseason. Um, Laval, uh, as as a coach, uh, if you when you hear this, um, what would what would your reaction of this be if this happened uh, on your team? You know, I, I just don't don't poke the bear, right? Like we don't need. It's already hard enough to win, and and we don't need to to give them bullet bullet bulletin board material. Um, you know, to to have there's enough of a right. Like those two kids, are, they're good players. They already have a competitive rivalry. If, if no words are said, Tyler, I'm sure you know. Like you had competitive individual matchups that you wanted to win. And nobody said a word, so you don't you don't need extra fuel on the fire. And 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 Snogo hadn't been playing, like you know he'd been he'd been playing. He, they lost a couple. He hadn't played his best, and now you know Danny Hurley's trying to find something to get him to to level up, uh, and and he can he can go back in the archives and find something like that. So I think as a coach, you you try to get your guys. There's just so much access, and guys have so many microphones and cameras, and you know so many ways to speak their mind which isn't always a good thing for the team yeah i think hunter dickinson is the guy that's finding that out the hard way um this season I, honestly like big picture but putting any uconn bias aside i think that this is a good thing for the biggies just because i think having rivalries where there is a healthy dislike between teams tyler is a that's like that's a good thing for the sport that's a good thing for the league when fans are looking forward to seeing uconn go into creighton and play this game again because you know, Adama and Ryan Kalkbrenner maybe don't like each other too much. They're probably two big, big guys in the conference, right? Like that's that's the kind of thing that gets people intrigued. So I I kind of love it. I kind of love that they don't really like each other. Well, as a fan, yeah. You asked me as a coach. Yeah, no, I know. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm just <laughs> no, no. I like it. Anytime you can add extra fuel uh, to get the fans there, and um, yeah, coming from you know NC State's kind of known for. You know, a lot of that, uh, it's not necessarily from the players, but it's from the fans. So I always got the engine rev, revved up to play against them. Uh, but, no, I agree. I mean, it is uh, it is exciting for, for us to, to watch the game and the fans 
definitely adds a whole new aspect to it. And I think, uh, you know, Hunter Dickerson, you just talked about it. He's kind of becoming that person that when he goes to away games now, it seems like every uh, fan base is going to be after him. He's going to be one of these guys in college where, you know what, people just ain't going to like him unless it's a Michigan fan. I, I think Michigan fans are starting to get a little bit frustrated too because uh, he's he keeps talking, but he ain't doing the winning, right? They keep losing. They lost again today um, to Michigan State. Laval, you asked this when we were off air a second ago. I'm going to give you, I swear, my one-minute take on on what got exposed with UConn uh, in, in uh, Providence. Get, get it. I'll see, let's see if we agree. Go ahead. So my, my thing is UConn is – is exceptional at the things that you can control based on effort, right? Whether it is the rebounding, the defense, how hard they play, their toughness, and they're really, really good at running like the the scripted robotic stuff that that Hurley um, that Hurley calls. He has so many counters and so many sets and so many ways they can get different shots off different actions, basically off the same setup, right? Um, they're really good at that stuff. But if you scout it well, you figure out what they're running and you can kind of stop it and switch it and scheme your defense to be able to take it away, then they don't really have a guy that can go get you one, and they don't really get to the free throw line, right? They don't have a guy that can get to the paint and draw contact, and Adama, as good as he is, so much of his damage are like these kind of little fadeaway jump hooks. He's not really going through people. He's not putting his shoulder into people. He's not drawing fouls. So to me, that's the issue is they don't really have – when what they do well doesn't work, they don't have a guy that can go break you down, get a shot, stop a run, do things like that. They do all the other stuff well. But when it comes to just needing a bucket, being able to give it to a guy and say, get the hell out of the way, you go get us a shot, they don't have that dude. And I think that's what we saw. But big picture, they lost at Providence and at Xavier, who are the two best teams in the conference that aren't named UConn. It's not like the, the sky is not falling. No, I, I, was, I was saying if we were on the same page, because they asked me on this set, and I said exactly a ball in the hand guy. They had RJ Cole last year when things, you know, when there was when the play didn't work, who can make a play? Um, but two was the the four man matchup. Like today, mm-hmm. Kaluma was five for sixteen. So you had Xavier, Jerome Hunter, and, and Freeman will combine for twenty six. Bryce Hopkins goes for twenty seven because they're going at the freshman caravan at the four. They went double bigs. They played Sonoga at the four to try to match the bully Bryce Hopkins. So if you now everybody doesn't have a four man that that could expose them and Kaluma didn't, you know, if he made some of the shots he took and did that he was trying he just didn't he wasn't as productive as the other guys. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.